Hey docs, welcome to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon McLaughlin. We are the premium location where women physicians come and learn about business. We do this by building profitable businesses so that we can have the freedom to live our best life. We have this podcast, we have a supportive community of over 9,000 women physicians. We create opportunities for each other and we network. I've created a journal to take a deep dive into what you really want, so check that out in the show notes. We also have a summit twice a year, which is absolutely free, and I've created a business school. That business school is only $997 for the full year. We meet every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You cannot find a better value than that. We come together, we work together, we have guest speakers, masterclasses, and we take actionable steps. So if you're interested, reach out to me and also take a look at the show notes. This podcast comes out every Tuesday morning. We'd love for you to be a part of our group and also give it a great review. Okay, guys, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Today we have Dr. Carrie Reller with us. I wanted her to come on because she has taken over a practice and there are some things that she's going about changing in the practice. And we thought that this would be a great discussion for those out there who are considering buying a practice, perhaps even selling a practice, like where things should be maybe when you sell a practice and maybe the things to even look for if you're considering buying a practice. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here, giving your time up to come and educate us. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Where do we start? You took over a practice. What were some of the first things that you noticed when you started looking at things? I think the biggest thing has been looking at the overhead. So the practice had been established for 41 to 43 years. And over the time, I think the, the former business owner was doing fine and didn't need to worry as much about what was coming in. But as that provider kind of tapers off and how much he's working and then I'm coming in and trying to build up another side of the practice, we, I really wanted to take a look at the overhead. And obviously staffing is the biggest one. And during COVID, we did have staffing issues. So that was a big thing too. But just looking at all the billing practices, not the medical billing, but the, the, the cost to run the office has been enlightening really. So as I've taken a deeper dive in it, I have noticed that we had two different gas suppliers and we have TV that we never turn on and we're paying for cable things. Focusing on that has really been kind of ways to, that we can cut costs and decrease the overhead. And the purpose of me doing that is because I'm in a, I guess the former practice was all allergy, so all specialty, and we're bringing in two different practices like models. So basically I'm family medicine and I'm going to be doing allergy too. And I also brought in obesity medicine. So those type of practices aren't as, I guess, lucrative as allergy. So knowing that is going to be something going forward, I really wanted to focus in on the overhead costs that are we incur in the practice. So for somebody looking out there to buy a practice, would you give them any advice what to look for? Yeah. So I do need to be clear. I did not buy the practice. It would, I inherited it. So buying a practice is definitely something you really need to look at the finer details. I think in my case, I might've not purchased it. I think I would have gone a different route because I think it might've been easier to set up elsewhere. But if you're buying like the awesome patient population and the clients and the name and the identity 
and, you know, the reputation, then I think it's really worth it. And then basically looking at all the details of the financial aspects are super important as well. Like, for instance, the a lot of older practices are still on paper charts. Believe it or not, it is. And we are half on paper and half on electronic now. But I had to start that. So that's something to look at of how much are you going to have to change in the current practice model that they're doing there. And then seeing if it's a still feasible solution to make enough profit that you can run the business too. So I don't know as much, I would say, about buying a practice as much as I do just about fixing it and bringing it to the 21st century, if you will. So you mentioned some things about fixing. What other things would you say you have in in the plan to fix or that you have fixed that you haven't mentioned? Yeah. So this is like a small mom and pop practice, which, you know, has done really well on reputation. And I think one of the biggest things is employee policies. So when I'm there, people are coming and going as they want. And it's always been like, okay, he's sick. She's sick. You you can leave early. No problem. But nobody's really keeping track of any of that. Right. I think it's important that they're getting the work done. But just having people take PTO for whatever reason is really difficult. So I have we used paychecks already for our statements and everything. So I started using them to help with coordinating PTO and make a policy. I also reached out to other physicians because there was no employee handbook. We this mom and Bob Bragg doesn't just been practicing however we want. So I I write it I wanted to write down some rules and show how they can accrue their paid time off. And so I put that into an employee handbook and I definitely got, I think the other, some people in the Texas Medical Association, they provide it. I don't think we have that here in Florida. So I reached out to other people and they were able to help me with that, like creating an employee handbook and writing office policies that most practices have, but it wasn't there. And then having the staff get used to that, still learning to have to clock in every day. And I think they're getting there, but it's they've had to do whatever they want for a long time. And now I'm trying to still allow for freedom, but also keep track of things more. So it's fair for everybody, really. You mentioned an excellent resource, the Texas Medical Association. I wish that all states were as active as them as far as putting things on their website. And you mentioned that you're in Florida, but guys, take a look at the Texas Medical Association. They do webinars. They have some really good things on their website to get you started as well as the AMA as well in private practice. They have a good playbook as well to look at, as well as telemedicine. Yeah, I'm like amazed that not everybody has the resources that they provide for us. So that's a great source, yeah. So you mentioned some ancillary services that you're going to be bringing in. Do you want to discuss that a little bit? I'm not sure if ancillary is the right word, but I have. So I've started basically a family medicine practice within an allergy practice, and we have to rebrand and change our whole name. So that's one thing, if that's an ancillary service, it's a whole nother level of providing. And then also weight management, I guess that could be more ancillary. And getting the word out and advertising that we're doing this now has been a big thing that we've had to do. And then I also brought in RPM or remote patient monitoring for our practice as well. And I do that through actually three different ways. So As the asthma and allergy side, we brought it in through the asthma side as well with a company that offers like basically home pulmonary function monitoring. 
So we've started that on the asthma side. And then we also use blood pressure monitoring for my family medicine patients. And this is two separate companies that do these. And then also the weight management kind of gets supplemented by starting the RPM for that program as well. And it's pretty important, I think, in that program because I try to allow for more time for the visits because this is an insurance-based model. And like obesity medicine and counseling takes a lot of time. And if I allow for a 30-minute visit, you're not getting quite as much reimbursement as for multiple shorter visits. So I think that adding in the remote patient monitoring really helped up-level that and allow for more reimbursement from what we're doing. We'll give a patient a scale and then they can track food and we can have we could have a virtual visit as well, but I still have them come in the office. But it's another way to help, I guess, bring in income and not lose as much from having a longer visit in the office. Carrie, talk to me about the reimbursement for the insurance company for remote patient monitoring. Any issues with that as far as billing goes? So yeah, certain insurance companies still don't cover it. Medicare covers it pretty well. Blue Cross Blue Shield does not. There's uh, some of the other bigger payers do cover it. So I think Blue Cross is the biggest one that's not on board with it. So we do have to do insurance checks first. Now, I think what the remote patient monitoring company does for me is they do that insurance check on the basically do the big payers take it? Does Blue Cross, does Cigna, whatever. And then if we have a question on a smaller policy or something, I'll shoot them the ID of the patient and say, please check into this because we don't have the staff that can like just be calling on all the insurance companies because they, they keep you on hold forever to find out those answers for us. So as we, as I know, learn to know which insurers cover it, then it's a lot easier and then I can be like, okay, you're a great candidate for this. Let's put you on that. And then, it, you know, it reimburses pretty well as long as you're doing the right coding and making sure to do the codes at the end of the month. And then the patients have to be compliant too. They have to have at least 16 measurements a month. And then you have to make one phone call as well to be able to build those some codes. The company help you with the billing as far as helping what codes to use? Like yeah, they tell us what codes to use. It's, there's really only four codes in this case. There could be different types of monitoring, the CM and stuff. I haven't done that yet, but we might have to do PCM. I forget what it stands for. I think principal care management. We might have to do PCM because if we do two different companies billing two different codes, like one for asthma and blood pressure, then you need to have the different codes. But the companies do help with the billing. They give a super bill and then you have to, you can pay them to do it or you can just have... What I have is a med student do it, like just put in all the billing codes at the end of the month. So that really helps as well. Anything else? I would say the biggest thing with the RPM is while certain insurers cover it, you never know what the copay is going to be. So there's four different codes that are, can be used per month. And some of the copays are, it depends on the patient. Usually it's the same as the copay for the office visit. But because there's four codes, sometimes they're charging two copays or one. So it's like, I, I have to know how to educate the patient of what they're going to be paying. And sometimes it's hard with that respect. And maybe the patient finds it unaffordable and then we have to change our plan. But yeah, that's basically the summary of the remote patient monitoring. But I highly recommend it if you find a company that you're happy to work with. The allergy testing, your family medicine, was you suggested for other docs, like you have a background in, in allergy, you have, you're taking over mom and pop who did mostly allergy, right? So yes. What would you recommend for the average family practice out there that is thinking about getting into allergy testing? 
That's an awesome question. I do highly recommend it because like I said, it's more lucrative and it can support my other side of the practice. And that's one I'm a little more passionate about. So I, I really love allergy, but I really like obesity medicine too. But the allergy, I really highly encourage to do proper training and testing because the allergy, like putting people on shots is great. It's been around for forever. It's evidence-based. People get better. It's amazing. But if you go to those one stop shops where, you know, they're just giving you pretty much the same serum and it's not mixed per patient, it's not really going to be that beneficial to the patient. I think you're doing a disservice to the patient. So to be able to do it correctly, I think is really important. And then doing the allergy testing is nice because then you can work up that patient right there in your office and not have to refer them out. And either one, help them find out maybe what they need to avoid or maybe whatever the counter medicines or prescription medicines they need, or to be able to start them on allergy shots if needed. And that it can bring in a lot of income to the office and patients get better. So it's really nice. But the difference of going to those one-stop, I can't, I don't know a name of a certain company, but the one-stop shop allergy testing in kits is not going to, if you're putting them on shots, it's not going to do as well. So you really need to learn how to create the serum for each patient so that they can benefit from it. It works a lot better that way. All right. Did you do extra training or resources that you could recommend or could they reach out to you as far as if they were interested in this? They can definitely reach out to me. I didn't. I would say that I learned in like a pseudo fellowship under my father. Yep. So I am not board certified allergy, but I'm pretty... I'm not going to pass the test or anything. I don't have to, but I've learned so much just from his training and I guess my experience and expertise. I go in and read the tests all the time and I order it and I can mix the serums and everything like that. So I do highly recommend getting involved in that if you wanted to. I know there's another doctor out there that's creating an allergy course on this and I would recommend her services as well. I think that's Dana Gibbs and she could help you too. And I think I think if you can add it to your office, that's great. I think the hardest part is probably training staff to be able to help you mix the serums and everything and learn to do the testing. But after that, like once you get it going, it can be pretty smooth. And my husband even developed an allergy shot software that we use to like record the doses and vials and everything. And we just keep making that better every day as we get feedback from the staff too. So that's a little extra bonus I got. From Tell me about the software. Will he be selling it outside or is it just for you guys? Technically right now it's just for us, but he, I, we've thought about it, proposed it and it's possible. I don't know. There are allergy software things that are out there already. It's not quite as advanced as that, but we could certainly make it that way. It's not really called anything. It's just it's an idea. Shots. Yeah, it's an idea that, and it's helping you, right? It is helping you absolutely. And that's how all these businesses start. They start with an idea, a need, providing a solution. You see a problem. Excellent. Yeah. So great to talk to you, Carrie. I appreciate it. So, la closing notes: people that are coming into an inherited practice, a new practice. How do you find the financial statements? Any suggestions on digging, especially for an office that is truly not organized? I'm not talking Thank about you. the one that you took because I'm sure it's pretty organized, but other practices out there. Yeah, I think you have to ask for them. Get the profit and loss, get the get all the bills that are coming in, get all the everything. You need to have that. You need eyes on it before you purchase a practice for sure. And then obviously to make it better and fix it and try to decrease overhead, you have to be able to have access to that. 
Yeah. So great to talk to you. If somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah. Oh, I'm on uh, book as Carrie Reller, Instagram, Clearwater Family Medicine. And uh, I mean, my email just carrie.reller at cfma.health if they have any questions, especially about the allergy stuff or anything like that. Carrie, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you like us, please give us a nice review and tell your family and friends about us. We'll see you on another episode.